Third Westfield Baptist Church, and we go to the south coast on a retreat, and we live in a house right on the beach, and um, we do several things there. We hear from God, we plan the term ahead, and we just do a bunch of really cool things, and um, we've got some traditions. Like, we all walk to the shop together before our meals. So, before lunch, we walk to the shop, buy stuff at Spa, Heberdeen Spa, walk back, eat lunch together. We do the same with supper. And one of my favorite traditions, I think, that's um, the, at the retreat is, is crab hunting. Okay, crab hunting. So it sounds, it sounds very exciting. It sounds like we've got weapons and stuff, but it's actually just crab catching. So, so it's not as exciting as it sounds, but, it, but it's fun. And um, so the first year I went, I met this guy on the screen. His name is Dan. Some of you, some of you know him um, as various things, Dan the video man or Dan whatever. And I, I know him as Dan the, the crab man. So I call him Dan the Crab Man because, because of the first time I went on this retreat. So we go crab hunting or crab catching. And I decide I'm going to catch this crab. I find a crab, lock eyes with this crab. I start running at full speed after this crab. And I decide I'm going to catch this thing by bending down, putting my hand over its back and catching it. And as I do that, this crab runs under my legs. So I look to the side and my team's laughing at me, right? And at that moment, I saw in the corner of my eye what looked like lightning. It felt like time slowed down, and I see this man start running towards this crab that I was trying to catch. In slow motion, I see chest hair waving in the wind. I'm sure at some point he ripped open his shirt. It feels like, it sounds like angels singing in the background. Birds, white ones, don't know where they came from. But he starts chasing this crab. He runs straight towards the ocean, and at some point he makes the left in slow motion while kicking up sand from his pinkish white heels. <laughs> he then very gracefully grabs two handfuls of wet sand. So I think he's going to clobber this crab. No, no, not Dan, the crab man. He very delicately places the sand on top of this crab. He then takes his thin little fingers... <laughs> <laughs> and wipes the sand off, picks up the crab, and cheers. I caught it, right? In that moment, I realized that Dan just taught me how to actually catch crabs, and he taught me the best way. I don't think there is a better way to catching crabs than Dan demonstrated that day. Taught me how to catch crabs in the best way. And in many ways, in many ways, the Bible, the Word of God does that for me. So we're busy doing a series called 40 Days in the Word, and we've had several preachers talk on the subject, and the first message was preached by Debbie. And as she spoke about when we read the Bible, how, how it teaches us about Jesus, how it teaches us about God. The week after that, John, our senior pastor, preached, and he spoke about how when we read the Bible, it teaches us who we are in Christ. Or even who we are when we're not in Christ. It teaches us who we are. The week after that, which was last week, uh, another one of the pastors at our church, Richard Erasmus, preached on how when we approach God's Word, we need to do it cautiously. Because God is all-powerful, and when He speaks, we shouldn't take lightly what He says. And today, I want to I share with you that when we read the Bible, God teaches us how to live life now. When we become Christian, we get to go to heaven one day. That's awesome. 
But God wants us to live a certain kind of life now. Jesus speaks about this kind of life in John 10, verse 10. This is what it says. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say that they may have it abundantly. God wants us to live an abundant life. And I believe that when we read God's word, he teaches us how to live an abundant life. The Israelites, which was God's chosen people in the Old Testament, they were slaves in Egypt. Okay? So I just discovered recently, while preparing for this message, that they were actually there for 430 years. So many generations of slaves, and they were treated like slaves. Like vermin. And I'm sure at some point, it's going to change you as a nation. So then God calls Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, and then he takes them up on a mountain and gives them the law. You know, there's the Ten Commandments. And the first five books in the Old Testament is known as the Law of Moses. It's also called the Pentateuch. Is that right, John? I keep saying Pentateuch, and I almost said it again. It's not that. It's Pentateuch. Also known as the Torah. The Torah, the Law of God. Or the law of Moses. And whenever I read that word Torah, or the law, my brain responds in a certain way. So the law for me speaks about a set of rules. A bunch of to-dos and a bunch of not-to-dos. See, but that's a very poor translation of the word Torah. Torah isn't just a law. Better, better translation for, for, law, for, for Torah would be God's teachings and instructions to the best possible life, or the best way to live. Now, and it says a bunch of interesting things. There's about 613 laws ca- captured in, in the Pentateuch, okay? For example, they say that, or it says that you shouldn't eat the meat of an animal that died of itself. Now, that should be, you should, I think we should know this, because what did it die? Was it old age or was it sick? We don't know, so just don't eat it. Makes sense, Right? For example, it says, um, when you eat fruit, don't eat worms that come from fruit. Do you need someone to tell you this? It seems obvious, right? But for a slave who's hungry, it might not be that obvious. And 400 years of living that way. I think God was just in many ways trying to teach these people how to be human again. He was teaching them how to live the best possible life. Now, now. George Foreman, previous um, heavyweight boxer, he, he, tells an, he, he, he tells a story in his book called God in My Corner that before he came to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali for the, for the world title, his friend gave him a Bible as a good luck charm. And he says that he's got a collection of good luck charms. He says he's got lucky pennies, lucky rabbit's feet, and now a lucky Bible. So then he lost. Then he threw the Bible away, he said. Because the Bible didn't help me win. Then later on when he became a Christian, he says he thought that the Bible would give him power without reading it. He says, I now know that the Bible is not a lucky charm, but a road map. Talking about living an abundant life now. See, Jesus understood the power of the Word of God. 
power of the Torah. Jesus was referred to as the Ha-Torah, the living, breathing law of God. Living, breathing word of God. So when Jesus spoke, he knew there's going to be power. And he spoke a lot. He spoke to a lot of people. One time he, he walked on water. He came across his disciples in a boat. And one of his disciples says, hey Jesus, can I walk on water? And Jesus speaks. Jesus a word. And he says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on water. Now we know that it's impossible to walk on water. I believe he was walking on the word of God that day. When we stand on God's word, stuff like that happens. He's teaching Peter about faith in this life. When you trust me, Peter, this is the kind of life you need to live. He also taught him about what happens when you don't have faith. The Bible says Peter looked around, he saw the storm, he sank. And Jesus responded to that. And he was teaching him with his words how to have faith in this world and what happens when we don't have faith. At one time he was preaching and there was a lot of people around and um, a short man named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, climbed up on a tree because he couldn't see Jesus. And that's also why I stood in front, by the way. Because I'm not, like, super tall. And he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for today salvation has come to you and your family. So he teaches Zacchaeus, with his words and actions, what forgiveness looks like. And then, when I read this passage, Jesus completely thrashes my theology on how someone should get saved. You see, Zacchaeus didn't put his hand up in the crowd. <laughs> he didn't come to the front of the altar. He didn't even say a sinner's prayer. And then Zacchaeus and his family get saved. Jesus teaches him about salvation and his family. Another time a woman got caught in the act of adultery. So the religious leader, leaders bring her to Jesus. And they say, well, it is written. They use the word, the word of God. They try to use it against Jesus, but, but he is the word of God. It is written that if she gets caught doing this, we need to stone her to death. And Jesus says, well, okay, but the one of you is without sin, you go first. And all of them walked away, the Bible says. And then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Go now and sin no more. See, often we swap that around. We say, sin no more, then your sins will be forgiven. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. It's a response from the inside out when she received freedom that day through salvation and forgiveness. Jesus was teaching that woman about the freedom we receive through forgiveness of sin. And I hope someday if you haven't already, that you would experience that kind of freedom that you receive when Christ Jesus forgives you and removes all your sins from you. One of my favorite things when Jesus responds with the word is when, when he gets led by the Holy Spirit. I love this. He gets led by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert for 40 days and not eat. To be tempted by the devil, the Bible says. So he goes there to be tempted. And then it says, after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. I would be hungry by lunchtime on day one. And then the devil appears. And then he tempts him. He says, well, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread and it will. And Jesus responds, I love this. The devil tempts him. 
Jesus responds with the word of God. He says, you shall not live by bread alone, but from every word. 40 days in the word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to start consuming the word. And then the devil takes him to the holy city. It takes him to the highest place in the temple. Then he says, well, if you're the son of God, jump. It is written, after all, that he would send angels to protect you. That they would carry you on their hands and then they would protect you. You won't even hit your foot on a rock. The devil says to Jesus, quoting scripture. And Jesus responds, well, it is written that you shall not tempt. Some translations say, test the Lord your God. Then for a last time, the devil tempts him. Takes him on a high mountain, the Bible says, and, and, shows, and the devil shows Jesus all the nations of the world in their glory. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Then Jesus responds to this temptation with the word. And he says, it is written. He says, first of all, he says, get away from me, Satan. It is written that you shall worship God and him alone. Every single one of us will be tempted every single day. How will we respond to this temptation? Often we yield to the temptation. But imagine what would happen if, if we start quoting scripture. If we knew the Bible was able to respond like Jesus did. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. The word was relevant then, it's relevant now, and will always be relevant. 200 years ago, a man by the name George Muller lived in England. And let me give you some background on this guy. So he lived the life of a playboy. He spent his time drinking, gambling, and chasing women. Apparently, this was an expensive lifestyle, and he knew this, and he knew they needed money. didn't have money, so he learned to acquire money by stealing. So he robbed his friends, stole from his friends and even his best friend. And at some point, he started stealing from his dad, who was also a tax collector, probably named Zacchaeus. Not that was just a joke. His name wasn't Zacchaeus. He became a master at stealing, and then at some point, he got caught. So he went to prison. And um, he admits that every single moment he spent in prison, he hated it with a passion. He hated it. But it didn't change his heart. And then the fact that his dad had to bail him out didn't change him. The fact that after he was bailed out by his dad, his dad beat him, that didn't change him either. Nothing could change this guy. Until one day he went to university and studied and met a Christian businessman who ran what we call a life group. And this guy, George Muller, was invited by this man to come to his life group. And he says, Muller says, that he loved it. He absolutely loved it. It changed his life. What they did was very simple, but powerful. They just read from scriptures and talked about it. And this absolutely changed his life completely. He became a Christian. And then God started speaking to him about the orphans in England around that time, 200 years ago. There were hundreds of them on the streets. They were treated like vermin. God started speaking to him to do something. And he said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm never going to ask a single man for provision. Your word says that you will provide. I'm going to trust you and only you for provision. So then he went about, found a building, and turned it into an orphanage. And then, it, and then they outgrew the orphanage, and it kept growing and kept growing, and they built so many orphanages that he had 120,000 orphans go through the doors of those orphanages in his lifetime. He collected, without advertising, over $2.5 million. In today's money, that's $180 million worth of money 
without asking one single person. He admits that the first 10 years were easy, abundance. Then it became more difficult because money stopped coming in. But God never stopped providing, he says. Some nights there wouldn't be any food, but he never told the, the orphans. Then every single time when that happened, without a, without a doubt, someone would knock on the door with food and say, listen, I couldn't sleep last night. I've baked like a gajillion loaves of bread. Please feed these kids. And this was his life's philosophy. If God's word says it, I'm going to believe it and do it. I'm going to believe it and do it. God's word has changed my life in three, ma- three, three big areas of my life. And um, the first area where God's word has changed my life is, is, is my purpose. Every single person on the planet at some point will say, what am I here for? Why am I here? And I said that to God. I was like, hey, God, I've become a Christian, but why am I here? Why did you make me? What is my purpose, Lord? If you don't tell me, I'm going to do nothing. I know my parents won't be happy about that, but I need you to tell me. I said, Lord, I'll even sweep the streets. And if you want me to do that, I'm going to be the best sweeper on the planet, but tell me. The one night in my bedroom, I was reading the Bible. Not the U magazine. And God spoke to me in Matthew 28, verse 19. This is a passage I've memorized it. God said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I've commanded you. And the next verse says, and no, I'm with you all the days till the end of the earth. God wants to speak to you too. He changed my life. That completely changed my life, that verse. He's spoken to me about my relationship with my wife. So I don't know if you know this, youth pastors fight with their spouses. You wouldn't think, like, because like we're pastors and everything should be perfect, right? Because we're pastors. And I don't know, John, if at any point that goes away. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. So Cara's English and I'm Afrikaans. Her family talks about problems. Like they have family meetings all the time. Right? When they buy a bread, they have a family meeting. That isn't that was a joke. They don't really do that. My dad taught me if someone messes with you, punch him first. If he's bigger than you and doesn't fall, run. So now I get married with this mindset. Cora wants to talk about stuff, but I can't use words. Right? What do you do? What do you do? Then at some point we, we realized that we needed to have a standard. We needed to look at some sort of road map that can guide us to the right way or the best way to live, the best way to do married life. So looking at God's word. The best thing for me is reading a passage in Corinthians that says you need to submit to one another. I needed to because I couldn't speak. I had a different way to think. She thinks completely differently to me. I needed to learn to speak, so I needed to submit. And sometimes she needs to submit when I say something because I'm right. All the time, obviously. (laughs) But God's word changed my life. Now. The last thing where God changed my life was in the area of my finances. So from the beginning, I've seen God provide in supernatural ways, loved it. Um, God's taught me several principles. Some of them I've applied, some of them I haven't. First thing I started doing was tithing. So I'd take 10% of my income, gave that to God. And then I would spend the rest. You know, like by the end of the month, 
like before you receive your money, it's like, you know, it's gone. You're not even excited. And then God started speaking to me about your money, my money. Like, you know I can provide, but how about you follow all the principles, not only the tithing part. So I was like, okay, God, what does that mean? Went to John and said, John, God's speaking to me about my money. Please can you introduce me to a business person, Christian business person, who thinks in terms of godly finances, and he did. Met someone, and he taught me a few things. I'm just going to give them to you in a list. He said to me, first thing, Jacques, in terms of money, don't ever rob God. I was like, great, tick, got that one. Then he says, be disciplined with your money. I said, cross next to that one. Be a good steward was what he was saying. He says, kill your debt. It's like, great. He says, especially credit card. Fantastic. He said, save money. And the last thing he said, because he was a businessman, he said, learn to make money. And in four of those areas, I've been able to make changes. I'm still learning how to make money. But completely changed my life. Let me wrap it up. There's a lady named Amanda Lemond whose mom passed away 23 years ago from bone cancer. She says she, she doesn't have many memories of her mom. She, she can't remember what her voice sounds like or even looks like sometimes. And, but I know I had this mom who died when I was very young. She says her prized possession, most prized possession, is a stuffed bunny that her mom gave her when she was very young at some, around Easter time at some point. And then she received a box in the post sent to her from the executor of her mother's estate. She opened this box, and in it was photos of her family and her mom and some other memories. But the most important thing, she says, was a stack of letters from her mom. She never knew about for 23 years. And as she reads these letters, tears running down her face, she says that, I learned who I was. Remember when John preached? He says, the Bible teaches us who we are. He says, I got to know my mom through these letters. Remember when Debbie preached, she said we get to know who Jesus is. But she says one of my favorite things about all these letters was my mom gave me advice for life now. And in brackets, there was like advice about boys. <laughs> I needed some advice about girls, obviously, because I couldn't speak. And here's the thing, here's the thing. The Bible is a collection of letters from God to us about a lot of things. But what I'm talking about today is John 10 verse 10, where God wants to give you an abundant life today. He wants to teach us how to do that. Let's read the Bible. Won't you take this challenge with me? As I looked at Dan, the crab man, for the best possible way to catch crabs, won't you with me look to God for the best possible way to do money, to do relationships, to do everything else in your life where you're running around chasing crabs you can't catch it your way doesn't work how about we follow God do what he says let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you that we learn who you are that you speak to us thank you that you even teach us who we are and Father I want to thank you for John 10 verse 10 that speaks about a life now and you want to teach us how to live an abundant life Father, it's so hard to submit to you even, to listen to what you have to say about my life. But Lord, help us today to look to you for advice, to look to you how to do marriage, how to discover our purpose and, and even money. We surrender to you and we praise you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.